Story thirteen of Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, eighteen ninety six to nineteen o one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joe Carabas. Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, eighteen ninety six to nineteen o one by Lucy Maud Montgomery, The Pennington's Girl. Winslow had been fishing, or pretending to, all the morning, and he was desperately thirsty. He boarded with the Beckwiths on Riverside East Shore, but he was nearer Riverside West, and he knew the Penningtons well. He had often been there for bait and milk, and had listened times out of mind to Mrs. Pennington's dismal tales of her tribulations with hired girls. She never could get along with them, and they left, on an average, after a fortnight's trial. She was on the lookout for one now, he knew, and would likely be cross. But he thought she would give him a drink. He rode his skiff into the shore and tied it to a fur that hung out from the bank. A winding little footpath led up to the Pennington farmhouse, which crested the hill about three hundred yards from the shore. Winslow made for the kitchen door, and came face to face with a girl carrying a pail of water. Mrs. Pennington's latest thing in hired girls, of course. Winslow's first bewildered thought was, What a goddess! And he wondered, as he politely asked for a drink, where on earth Mrs. Pennington had picked her up. She handed him a shining dipper, half full, and stood pale in hand while he drank it. She was rather tall, and wore a somewhat limp, faded print gown, and a big sun-hat, beneath which a glossy knot of chestnut showed itself. Her skin was very fair, somewhat freckled, and her mouth was delicious. As for her eyes, they were gray, but beyond that simply defied description. "'Will you have some more?' she asked in a soft, drawling voice. "'No, thank you. That was delicious. Is Mrs. Pennington home?' "'No, she's gone away for the day.' "'Well, I suppose I can sit down here and rest a while.' "'You've no serious objections, have you?' "'Oh, no.' She carried her pail into the kitchen and came out again presently with a knife and a pan of apples. Sitting down on a bench under the poplars, she proceeded to peel them with a disregard of his presence that piqued Winslow, who was not used to being ignored in this fashion. Besides, as a general rule, he had been quite good friends with Mrs. Pennington's hired girls. She had had three strapping damsels during his sojourn in Riverside, and he used to sit on this very doorstep and chafe them. They had all been sassy and talkative. This girl was evidently a new species. "'Do you think you'll get along with Mrs. Pennington?' he asked finally. "'As a rule, she fights with her help.' although she's a most estimable woman. The girl smiled quite broadly. I guess, perhaps, 
She's rather hard to suit, was the answer. But I like her pretty well so far. I think we'll get along with each other. If we don't, I can leave, like the others did. What's your name? Nellie Ray. Well, Nellie, I hope you'll be able to keep your place. Let me give you a bit of friendly advice. Don't let the cats get into the pantry. That is what Mrs. Pennington has quarreled with nearly every one of her girls about. It is quite a bother to keep them out, ain't it? said Nellie calmly. There's dozens of cats about the place. What on earth makes them keep so many? Mr. Pennington has a mania for cats. He and Mrs. Pennington have a standing disagreement about it. The last girl left here because she couldn't stand the cats. They affected her nerves, she said. I hope you don't mind them. Oh, no, I kind of like cats. I've been trying to count them. Has anyone ever done that? Not that I know of. I tried, but I had to give up in despair. Never could tell when I was counting the same cat over again. Look at that black goblin sunning himself on the woodpile. I say, Nellie, you're not going, are you? I must. It's time to get dinner. Mr. Pennington will be in from the field soon. The next minute he heard her stepping briskly about the kitchen, shooing out intruding cats and humming a darky air to herself. He went reluctantly back to the shore and rode across the river in a brown study. I don't know whether Winslow was afflicted with chronic thirst or not, or whether the east side water wasn't so good as that of the west side, but I do know that he fairly haunted the Pennington farmhouse after that. Mrs. Pennington was home the next time he went, and he asked her about her new girl. To his surprise, the good lady was unusually reticent. She couldn't really say much about Nellie. No, she didn't belong anywhere near Riverside. In fact, she, Mrs. Pennington, didn't think she had any settled home at present. Her father was traveling over the country somewhere. Nellie was a good little girl, and very obliging. Beyond this, Winslow could get no more information. So he went around and talked to Nellie, who was sitting on the bench under the poplars, and seemed absorbed in watching the sunset. She dropped her G's badly and made some grammatical errors that caused Winslow's flesh to creep on his bones. But any man could have forgiven mistakes from such dimpled lips and in such a sweet voice. He asked her to go for a row up the river in the twilight, and she assented. She handled an oar very well, he found out and the exercise became her. Winslow tried to get her to talk about herself, but failed signally, and had to content himself with Mrs. Pennington's meager information. He told her about himself, frankly enough, how he had had fever in the spring and had been ordered to spend the summer in the country and do nothing useful until his health was fully restored, and how lonesome it was in Riverside in general and at the Beckham farm in particular. He made out quite a dismal case for himself, and if Nellie wasn't sorry for him, she should have been. 
At the end of a fortnight, Riverside folks began to talk about Winslow and the Pennington's hired girl. He was reported to be dead gone on her. He took her out rowing every evening, drove her to preaching up the bend on Sunday nights, and haunted the Pennington farmhouse. Wise folks shook their heads over it and wondered that Mrs. Pennington allowed it. Winslow was a gentleman, and that Nellie Ray, whom nobody knew anything about, not even where she came from, was only a common hired girl, and he had no business to be hanging about her. She was pretty, to be sure, but she was absurdly stuck up and wouldn't associate with other Riverside help at all. Well, pride must have a fall. There must be something queer about her when she was so awfully shy as to her past life. Winslow and Nellie did not trouble themselves in the least over all this gossip. In fact, they never even heard it. Winslow was hopelessly in love. When he found this out, he was aghast. He thought of his father, the ambitious railroad magnate of his mother, the brilliant society leader, of his sisters, the beautiful and proud. He was honestly frightened. It would never do. He must not go to see Nellie again. He kept this prudent resolution for twenty-four hours, and then rowed over to the west shore. He found Nellie sitting on the bank in her old faded print dress, and he straightway forgot everything he ought to have remembered. Nellie herself never seemed to be conscious of the social gulf between them. At least she never alluded to it in any way, and accepted Winslow's attentions as if she had a perfect right to them. She had broken the record by staying with Mrs. Pennington four weeks, and even the cats were in subjection. Winslow was well enough to have gone back to the city. In fact, his father was writing for him but he couldn't leave Beckwith's, apparently. At any rate, he stayed on and met Nellie every day and cursed himself for a cad and a cur and a weak-brained idiot. One day he took Nellie for a row up the river. They went farther than usual around the bend. Winslow didn't want to go too far, for he knew that a party of his city friends, chaperoned by Mrs. Kenton Wells, were having a picnic somewhere up along the river shore that day. But Nellie insisted on going on and on, and of course she had her way. When they reached a little pine-fringed headland that came upon the picnickers within a stone's throw, everybody recognized Winslow. Why, there is Burton, he heard Mrs. Kenton Wills exclaim, and he knew she was putting up her glasses. Will Evans, who was an especial chum of his, ran down to the water's edge. "'Bless me, Wynne, where did you come from? Come right in. We haven't had tea yet. Bring your friend, too,' he added, becoming conscious that Winslow's friend was a mighty pretty girl. Winslow's face was crimson. He avoided Nellie's eye. "'Are them friends of yours?' she asked in a low tone. "'Yes.' he muttered. "'Well, let us go ashore if they want us to,' she said calmly. "'I don't mind.' 
For three seconds Winslow hesitated. Then he pulled ashore and helped Nellie to alight on a jutting rock. There was a curious set expression about his fine mouth as he marched Nellie up to Mrs. Kenton Wells and introduced her. Mrs. Kenton Wells' greeting was slightly cool, but very polite. She supposed Miss Ray was some little country girl with whom Burton Winslow was carrying on a summer flirtation. Respectable enough, no doubt, and must be treated civilly, but of course wouldn't expect to be made an equal of exactly. The other women took their cue from her, but the men were more cordial. Miss Ray might be shabby, but she was distinctly fetching, and Winslow looked savage. Nellie was not a whit abashed, seemingly, by the fashionable circle in which she found herself, and she talked away to Will Evans and the others in her soft drawl, as if she had known them all her life. All might have gone passably well, had not a little riverside imp by the name of Rufus Hent, who had been picked up by the picnickers to run their errands, come up just then with a pail of water. Golly, he ejaculated in a very audible tones. If there ain't Mrs. Pennington's hired girl. Mrs. Kenton Wells stiffened with horror. Winslow darted a furious glance at the telltale that would have annihilated anything except a small boy. Will Evans grinned and went on talking to Nellie, who had failed to hear, or at least to heed, the exclamation. The mischief was done. The social thermometer went down to zero in Nellie's neighborhood. The women ignored her altogether. Winslow set his teeth together and registered a mental vow to wring Rufus Hent's sunburned neck at the first opportunity. He escorted Nellie to the table and waited on her with ostentatious deference, while Mrs. Kenton Wells glanced at him stonily and made up her mind to tell his mother when she went home. Nellie's social ostracism did not affect her appetite, but after lunch was over, she walked down to the skiff. Winslow followed her. "'Do you want to go home?' he asked. "'Yes, it's time I went, for the cats may be raiding in the pantry. But you must not come. Your friends here want you.' "'Nonsense!' said Winslow skulkily. If you're going, I am too. But Nellie was too quick for him. She sprang into the skiff, unwound the rope, and pushed off before he guessed her intention. I can row myself home, and I mean to, she announced, taking up the oars defiantly. Nellie, he implored. She looked at him wickedly. You'd better go back to your friends. That old woman with the eyeglasses is watching you. Winslow said something strong under his breath as he went back to the others. Will Evans and his chums began to chafe him about Nellie, but he looked so dangerous that they concluded to stop. There was no denying that Winslow was in a fearful temper just then with Mrs. Kenton Wells, Evans, himself, Nellie, in fact, with all the world. His friends drove him home in the evening on their way to the station and dropped him at the Beckwith farm. At dusk he went moodily down to the shore. 
Far up the bend was dim and shadowy, and stars were shining above the wooded shores. Over the river the Pennington farmhouse lights twinkled out alluringly. Winslow watched them until he could stand it no longer. Nellie had made off with his skiff, but Perry Beckwith's dory was ready to hand. In five minutes Winslow was grounding her on the west shore. Nellie was sitting on a rock at the landing place. He went over and sat down silently beside her. A full moon was rising above the dark hills up the bend, and in the faint light the girl was wonderfully lovely. I thought you weren't coming over at all tonight, she said, smiling up at him. And I was sorry, because I wanted to say goodbye to you. Goodbye? Nellie? You're not going away? Yes, the cats were in the pantry when I got home. Nellie! Well, to be serious, I'm not going for that. But I really am going. I had a letter from Dad this evening. Did you have a good time after I left this afternoon? Did Mrs. Kenton Wills thaw out? Hang Mrs. Kenton Wells! Nellie, where are you going? To Dad, of course. We used to live down south together, but two months ago we broke up housekeeping and come north. We thought we could do better up here, you know. Dad started out to look for a place to settle down, and I came here while he was prospecting. He's got a house now, he says, and wants me to go right off. I'm going tomorrow. Nellie, you mustn't go. You mustn't, I tell you, exclaimed Winslow in despair. I love you. I love you. You must stay with me forever. You don't know what you're saying, Mr. Winslow, said Nellie coldly. Why, you can't marry me, a common servant girl. I can and I will if you'll have me, answered Winslow recklessly. I can't ever let you go. I've loved you ever since I first saw you. Nellie, won't you be my wife? Don't you love me? Well, yes, I do, confessed Nellie suddenly. And then it was fully five minutes before Winslow gave her a chance to say anything else. Oh, what will your people say? she contrived to ask at last. Won't they be in a dreadful state? Oh, it will never do for you to marry me. Won't it? said Winslow, in a tone of satisfaction. I rather think it will. Of course, my family will rampage a bit at first. I dare say father will turn me out. Don't worry over that, Nellie. I'm not afraid of work. I'm not afraid of anything except losing you. You have to see what Dad says, remarked Nellie, after another eloquent interlude. He won't object, will he? I'll write to him, or go and see him. Where is he? He's in town at the Arlington. Arlington? Winslow was amazed. The Arlington was the most exclusive and expensive hotel in town. What is he doing there? Transacting a real estate, 
or railroad deal with your father, I believe, or something of that sort. Nellie! Well, what do you mean? Just what I say. Winslow got up and looked at her. Nellie, who are you? Helen Ray Scott, at your service, sir. Not Helen Ray Scott, the daughter of the Railroad King. The same. Are you sorry that you're engaged to her? If you are, she'll stay Nellie Ray. Winslow dropped back on the seat with a long breath. Nellie, I don't understand. Why did you deceive me? I feel stunned. Oh, do forgive me, she said merrily. I shouldn't have, I suppose. But you know you took me for the hired girl the very first time you saw me. And you patronized me and called me Nellie. So I let you think so, just for fun. I never thought it would come to this. When Father and I came north, I took a fancy to come up here and stay with Mrs. Pennington, who was an old nurse of mine, until Father decided where to take up our abode. I got here the night before we met. My trunk was delayed, so I put on an old cotton dress her niece had left here, and you came and saw me. I made Mrs. Pennington keep the secret. She thought it great fun. And I really was a great hand to do little chores and keep the cats in subjection, too. I made mistakes in grammar and dropped my G's on purpose. It was such fun to see you wince when I did it. It was cruel to tease you so, I suppose. But it was so sweet just to be loved for myself. Not because I was an heiress and a belle. I couldn't bear to tell you the truth. Did you think I couldn't read your thoughts this afternoon when I insisted on going ashore? You were a little ashamed of me. You know you were. I didn't blame you for that. But if you hadn't gone ashore and taken me as you did, I would never have spoken to you again. Mrs. Kent Wells won't snub me the next time we meet. In some way, I don't think your father will turn you out either. Have you forgiven me yet? Burton. I shall never call you anything but Nellie, said Winslow irreverently. End of the Pennington's Girl. Recording by Joe Carabas, Vallejo, California.